What's it like to talk to a studio about your screenplay? On today's podcast, my co-writer Nathan Check and I had a chance to sit down with the new but quickly growing City Lights Studio to talk about our latest feature script, The Harlequin. On this show, you'll get to hear what it's like to be a brand new studio in Hollywood, how Seth and Justin from City Lights Studio feel about the current marketplace, specific feedback on our script, The Harlequin, and ideas for how to take your screenplay to the next level and hopefully get it made, including strategies that Nathan and I are implementing with our own scripts. Now, I am friends with Seth, one of the founders of City Light Studio, so this conversation is extremely friendly, meaning that if you were to sit down with a studio to discuss your script, it might not be as friendly as we are in this particular conversation. But my hope is that listening to their feedback on our script will give you some insights into how to polish your screenplay and get it made. If you're interested in reading our feature script, The Harlequin, or our prequel short film script, No Vacancy, consider becoming a supporter of How Stories Work on Patreon or shoot me an email and let me know you're interested in reading it. For next week's show and on YouTube, I will take this conversation and break it down in more detail. What I wanna get to is a place where I say, even if you haven't read my script, you will understand how I'm receiving the feedback I received from Justin and Seth and what I'm going to do to implement that into the script. And those lessons will be a little bit more explicitly clear when I break this down into a longer conversation in more detail. So just know that that show is coming as well and there will be specific videos on YouTube covering some of the specific feedback we received here. I'm Jay Shear, this is How Stories Work, and I hope you enjoy our conversation with City Lights Studio. Well, it is good to see Seth and Justin again from City Lights Studio, and I want to talk to them a little bit. They're going to give us feedback. Um, Nathan and I have a script that I'll talk about in a little bit more detail later and set it up kind of what it is and what we're trying to do with it. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to just talk to Seth and Justin because they're up to a lot of cool stuff. and. Um, I want to just get their take on where the marketplace is at, what they hope, what kind of impact they hope to have on the marketplace and what they're doing to get there. Um, and then, of course, Nathan is the co-founder of the Reclamation Society and co-writer of all of the stuff that um, I've worked on in the last five or six years, maybe more like 10 years. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, so if you don't mind, uh, Seth and Justin, Seth, I can start with you. And then, Justin, uh, just give me a little bit about your background and how you thought like, hey, City Lights Studio is the thing that we want to do. So I don't know, uh, Seth. Why don't you start us off? What What is your background here, and what are you trying to accomplish, and all sure. of the good things? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for having us, uh, Jay and Nathan. So it's, it's always great to be on this podcast. Yeah. And this is number three for me. So, but yeah, no. Uh, so Justin and I have been friends, you know, for ever. You know, we've been friends for over ten years. Uh, we worked at the movie theater together back in the day. Uh, right after right out of high school and justin was my supervisor and then uh yeah we kept in touch after so it's been great um and i've seen justin for you know the past 10 years just over and over get this close and uh last year well i guess now it's two years ago uh yeah, it's 2021 now holy crap yeah yeah it's september 2021 or, or august uh somewhere around that time but uh i told justin i was like dude you know, I mean, everyone in the movie industry, you know, gets this close over and over again. And I said, dude, want to just make your movies ourselves? And that's kind of how the idea came from that. 
but my background comes more of sales and marketing. Um, you know, Jay and I met through this uh, competition I did in college uh, called Zoo Ventures at APU, where uh, kind of I, we won the competition out of 30 teams or however many it was. Uh, got a, uh, a fund to get started our company and learned a lot about business and marketing. Um, and since then, you know, I'm now work at one of the top three agencies in the world, according to Facebook, which is great. Um, it's a lot of fun and uh, been doing it for like eight years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm kind of in that point where I'm ready to transition. And so Justin and I, when we started having this idea, it's a nice little pivot part where, you know, we can start getting a new project going while I'm still doing my job. And again, it's good. It's I have a lot of fun doing it. You know, I do it effectively, but so I don't have anything against that. I just, I'm ready for the next chapter of my life. And, uh, you know, I want to see Justin win too. He's one of my best friends. He's one of the best guys I've ever met. So, uh, and his scripts are amazing. So I said, you know, let's put our heads together and figure this out and get your, your scripts made in some movies. Yeah, that's awesome. By the way, show and tell, I have a pair of your headphones right here. This was was the company that Seth ran that that came up with these headphones. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun fantastic stuff so yeah that's that's perfect and um and it's been fun to watch your your journey seth and i'm glad that this is kind of funny because um seth and i know each other in a completely different context he knows that i was a writer but like not like we didn't talk about that a lot we talked more about movies and things and then seth's posting pictures of like his studio and filming things and i'm like bro you have when did you what you didn't tell me you like this stuff too because this is what i'm working on um so that was kind of funny that was, that was a good introduction to city lights um and then seth introduced me to justin so justin give us a little bit about uh your background and what you've been up to um uh, my background is i've been doing this for a long time now i've been writing professionally for almost 15 years um and uh, i don't know I got an early start. I got um, lucky enough to work on some early drafts of uh, the first Wonder Woman script and kind of got my start in the studio system. And I don't know, it's been a lot of fun, but it's like Seth said, you get, you know, you work on scripts for a long time. You know, some of them are freelance, some of them you're hired and that's cool. But, you, you know, it'd be nice to see something you write actually get made and not have to get shelved at the last minute or have deals fall through or be in production, have things be canceled. Like that's why we took control of it. Him and I were kicking that idea around for probably three or four years and finally just executed it. And it's honestly been the best year in what year and a half now. We've done so much in just such a year and a half. And we've got a couple of things in place and we're excited. We've yeah. got a we've got what set three or four projects on deck right now. So I mean it's it's nice to be like actually making stuff and not just writing and hoping that something happens. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. So yeah, what are some of the projects you guys have going on right now? Yeah, so we uh, we made our first short film last year and uh, submitted to the Oscars and Sundance. Uh, Sundance, there was like 15,000 submissions or something crazy like that. So uh, ours just didn't even make the, the cut to even get, you know, considered to be watched, which that's understandable. Um, I'll have to do a little bit of digging and figure out who's the person that does uh, the actual watching of those movies. So that way... Next time we'll we'll have a direct contact and we don't get lost in the sauce. You know what I mean? Well, well, we did the math on that, by the way, and it's something like they did. They had almost sixteen thousand submissions, and they would have to have a hundred people watching the submissions twenty four hours a day for eight months to see to watch every submission. Oh, yeah, it's wow. Yeah, it's just not even possible to to have you know whoever the committee is watch all that content. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's some politicking in Hollywood. No. 
<laughs> Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, thought no man. idea. Uh, but yeah, you know, so that that was cool. Uh, learned a ton with that first project. It was a, a low budget short film. Um, you know about Black Lives Matter. Um, the script was amazing. You know, it has a really powerful message. Uh, you know, we had a phenomenal cast and crew. Um, the the kid, his name is Ma- uh, Malcolm Kelly. He was the kid who played uh, Walt on Lost. Oh yeah. Um, from forever ago and he's just a, an incredible actor super professional really cool down-to-earth guy so he was a lot of fun to work with learned a ton that was my first time being on a set and getting anything funded and you know investing our own money mine and justin's money uh, into this project so you know there was a huge learning curve we learned a lot you know we made a ton of mistakes but uh, i'm glad it was low stakes you know mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. way we can kind of get all the kinks out with this first run through and now when we take on a bigger project i I'm, have a better idea of what to expect and then additionally, you know, I could have gone to school for four to eight years to, to understand, you know, how to make movies and, and produce movies. And I don't think it would have come close to the experience we actually had on set, even though it was just a, you know, a week long shoot, short shoot, you know, we got it done. We were effective and we were quick, but the, the amount of experience that Justin and I got was just, you, know, you can't pay for that. So it was great. That's awesome. And then the other projects were not. I don't know if I'm able to talk about it, if it's going to be recorded, but uh, happy to tell you about it offline. But okay, cool. <laughs> we do have uh, a couple projects on deck that are great with some some big talent that we are excited to work with. Um, some of them are already partially funded, so it's just a matter of uh, closing out a couple of rounds and uh, and getting them finished. We do have a couple that are already in post-production as well. So, uh, cool. yeah, it's all exciting stuff. Uh, you know, as soon as we're able to share a little bit more, happy to, to share it with you. And again, offline, happy to share anything with yeah, you. Yeah, for well. sure. For sure. Now, we produced a, a short film in 2016, and we learned a lot from that process, too. So a couple questions. Um, what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was your budget for that film, for the short, for the short film? It was a $50,000 budget. Okay. So, so pretty good for a short film budget. Like, it's a decent chunk of money. Yeah. Um, what were some of the key lessons that you would say that you learned in the production process of that film? So the biggest, the biggest thing is uh, we need to diversify our, our crew. Um, mm-hmm. We had a couple people doing multiple jobs um, and they're very talented at, you know, one or two of those jobs, but the, having the third job or the fourth job that they're also trying to do, just wearing too many hats. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, we're not diversifying enough and we're not letting, you know, experts in that particular area do what they need to do best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just because we were trying to keep the budget low, you know, Uh, communication is another big thing and us being the producers, you know, we need to be, have a grasp, a better grasp on, you know, who is doing what and delegating a little bit better than what we currently did. Mm. Um, And just having more clear, uh, you know, direction and goals of what we need to accomplish. Um, And then again, the communication, um, there was a couple things that in post-production that weren't communicated very well. um, Mm. And I think that affected the quality of the script. Um, not to say that the script was bad or the movie was bad. Um, I think there was things that there were areas of improvement and it felt a little bit rushed because of that lack of communication. Mm. Uh, but if we can iron that out for the next one, you know, I mean, the movie has t- a ton of potential to be an amazing movie and the script is phenomenal. The cast and crew was amazing, you know, so it's just a matter. I mean, just like with anything relationships, uh, you know, yeah. work, whatever it's always, it always comes down to, I think, communication and just understanding the, the work process of the people that we're working with and how yep. to communicate with them better as an individual rather than just a, a blanket statement to the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, yeah, biggest, the... the biggest one was learning about 
sorry, I was learning about uh, how when you, your experience on set and it does not always transcend to offset. Like mm. when you're filming, it could be done, you could be done filming. And then once the editing process and all that comes in, like it's got it, you got you got to like set that communicate and be on the same, same team, same line of thought because it changes so quickly once everybody's not in the same room. There's so many different things that affect the final product. It just, yeah, it can be a yeah. lot. So that was definitely the biggest lesson of just like, oh, we got to follow through with this and learn. And it's also about having, I don't want to say more control, but just having more say. And mm. So that way you can be a part of that and make sure that one person doesn't run away with it. Yeah. Now, now, as producers, how 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 much did you get involved with the script? The script so, was already written. Yeah. yeah. So, so you guys so, didn't have to. You guys didn't have to do any rewrites or offer any notes or any of that kind of stuff. You were able to just go. This is legit. Let's go. Yeah, we had so we had a couple nothing crazy. Yeah. Yeah, a couple yeah. of small line notes, but it was it was ready to go. I mean, they nice. knew what they were doing. They they wrote this like ten years ago, so this is something that they had thought and they'd taken the time to just put together and track properly. And it was that's why we we believed in it because it was so well written. That's fantastic. That's really good. Well, I do know a couple, I have a couple of people who worked on our film who have since worked on other films that um, if you guys need, if you guys need anybody, let me know. Cause I've also worked with people when we were, when we were doing the full cast audiobook of death of a bounty hunter. Uh, there were a few people that I almost worked with that I learned in negotiations how terrible they would have been to work with. So I can give you some warnings on that as well. Um, but uh, but we've been really lucky to work with. There's, I think part of the problem with, um, at least with my experience personally, is there's so many awesome people, just like you two, who are trying to get movies made. However, um, there's a fraction of a fraction of people who are actually getting funding to be able to do the movies right and so like some of the people who get funding to do the movies are not the kinds of people that you and i would want to work with that's just that's just the truth of any kind of business environment and yeah. especially if they're successful right if they, if they if they make good films then they may not be that fun to work with yeah. but but my the positive way of saying that is there's so many awesome people in our industry doing amazing things that if you can find those people and that you can have a especially if they have names um then from a production standpoint that's that's really awesome so we we learned some some of the same exact uh lessons in in 2016 that you guys learned so um in fact as i was thinking about some of the so just as just as a little bit of context to those listening or watching um we had a private we had a previous conversation with um seth and justin which was really um really great we're really appreciative of you guys taking the time with us to walk us through some of what your guys thoughts were and things like that and i think that it's meeting new people is amazing and being able to collaborate with people is also amazing and um i appreciate you guys time doing it because it's been it's been really fun anything else you guys want to say about city lights or anything you guys want to are there anybody is there anybody that you're sort of looking for that you'd like to throw the throw the no, the line out to say like give us a call or something or anything yeah. like that yeah i mean there's a ton of people we'd love to work with you know um we we were in communication earlier this year with um one of mark Wahlberg's many many teams that he has mm. uh, he has i don't know how many production companies now but yeah. uh you know to try to get a script going and unfortunately it wasn't what they were looking for but we'd love to work with you know marky mark and the the whole uh cast and crew of like specifically like entourage and everyone involved with that project would be great oh, cool 
Yeah. And then uh, another one that Justin and I keep kicking around is, you know, I would love one of my big goals for for City Lights is to make either a, a Star Wars script like a movie or mm. a, or a TV show. Yeah. Um, so if we can get out to, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau and do something specifically around the the old Republic area with, you know, Darth Revan, uh, I think oh, that'd be yeah. huge. Yeah. You know, I think there's a huge audience for it. Everyone would want to see it. It kind of gets us out of the, you know, traditional Star Wars timeline of, you know, prequel, uh, you know, Empire and then post-Empire. Um, mm-hmm. So that'd be a lot of fun to kind of go back, you know, a few hundred years and see some of the the ancient Jedi or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and, uh, and just, you know, if you go into the Legends and anyone who's played the games or read the books, you know, some of these Jedi powers that they have or Sith powers that they have are just nuts. Yeah. And, uh the Jedi Sith War was just a gnarly, gnarly war, and I think it's a story that should be brought to you know the big screen. Um, and if we can help provide the vehicle for that, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Some of my some of my friends and I on Twitter were just talking about that, and I was saying, "There's nobody that doesn't want an Old Republic show saying. or a film. Like like it's like it's like the it's like the biggest no brainer to greenlight. <laughs> like <That's what> <laughs> not only that, but Revan has one of the best stories in Star Wars history. So it's like that's what I'm saying exactly." It's exactly. right there. It's right it's there. Right there. Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? There's rumors, though, that have circulated for years that Lucas didn't want to touch it as a TV series because there was so much to cover. But also, mm. I've heard rumors that Disney doesn't want to touch like Knights of the Old Republic era and all that because Disney, there's parts of it that are too dark to expand upon, and Disney doesn't want to go that deep with it. Uh, they don't want they don't want r-rated star wars content as much as you know we're getting there right right well and andor gets us closer because andor it's not r-rated but it is the most um adult focused kind of content that star wars has really probably ever done so good luck i hope you guys pitch it and i hope you guys nail it because i would love to see that (laughs) thank you yeah that'd be great and I think there's a way to do it, you know, like Lord of the Rings, uh, both the the movies and the uh, the TV show. It's a PG-13 rating, and it yeah. does explore some dark things, uh, but it's a PG-13 rating. And I feel like with the the older public, there's like that's the kind of like audience that we can capture right there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we can go even darker and go like more like Game of Thrones style, where it's like super dark and gritty. But I feel like that's a little too dark for Star Wars. Right. Um, but I'm with you. Like Andor is like I think that happy medium, and I feel like that can kind of correspond with like what we see in things like Lord of the Rings yep. where it has those dark spots, you know, Sauron, the ring, Golem, all that stuff. Uh, and, it, and it touches those subjects, uh, but it does it in a creative, you know, way that helps almost a, a broader audience, you know, be able to watch that and, and stomach that. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to, um, to meet with us. Now the rest of this conversation is really going to be structured around, um, getting some notes from Justin and Seth on the Harlequin. So let me set up the Harlequin and what the Harlequin is. Um, the Harlequin is a feature film that Nathan and I wrote this last year. Um, it is essentially uh, Bad Times at the El Royale meets The Boys meets um, some version of a, of a whodunit type of a thriller is <laughs> if you mix blend those three things together, you basically kind of get the Harlequin. Um, and just as a note, uh, before we get into it, um, the Harlequin, our goals for the Harlequin and, and you guys asked us about this. And so I've been thinking a lot about this. We, when we set out to write, uh, we wrote the feature and then I turned around to Nathan and I said, okay, it is a low budget feature, just wrote it to be a low budget feature. 
But even raising enough money, because I really wouldn't want to film the Harlequin for under 375K. That's kind of the number in my head that I'm like, I wouldn't want to film it for too much less than that. Um, so even that amount of money is not easy to raise, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, sometimes it is. Sometimes you get the right investors on board. It's fairly, fairly easy, but that's a lot of money. So I said, let's write another film that goes alongside the Harlequin that can be a proof of concept, right? Um, and so we actually have another film called No Vacancy, which is a 20-minute um, short that is basically a prequel to the Harlequin and in the same world. And I only bring that up because um, as we talk about these type, how do we have these kind of conversations? I think it's really valuable to understand that like there's a kind of thinking that's valuable to you. And Seth and Justin said it earlier. They said, it's not enough just to hope your stuff gets made. You also have to make the effort to make it yourself. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, if you can't make a feature, then make a short. <laughs> and if you can make a short, then go try to sell people on the feature. So I think um, that's one of the things that we've made it a goal for this year to film that short. Um, and if and also to try and get representation so that we can and then even even perhaps work with you guys, because one of the things that you guys are doing is helping people raise money for their own films. Right. So mm -hmm. maybe even working with you guys to do that so that we can get all of our ducks in a row and say, OK, we've got multiple options on the table. We've got a short that we can go go with. We can try to sell this to other people, get it options or we can actually go make it ourselves if we get the right team of fundraising on board to do it. So that was we didn't get there without the prior conversation we had with you guys so just again my appreciation to you guys for being willing to have that conversation with us and and go in that direction so with that being said as a setup i'm gonna go ahead and share my screen um that will that you, everyone will be able to see what the harlequin script <laughs> looks like and in this way what i really the reason why i wanted to film this i asked justin and seth if we could film it because we were just going to do it and they were just going to be kind enough to give us the feedback and i thought well one of the things I'm doing with this channel is I'm saying every time I learn something, I want to impart that knowledge to other people if they want to learn it too. And so I thought, well, if you guys are going to give us feedback, um, getting and understanding feedback is a really critical process in the writing and storytelling um, yeah. process. And so I really wanted to be able to do this. So I just appreciate you guys being willing to do that as well. Um, and I'm just going to open the script. And we'll let you guys kick it off. So um where do you guys want to start? I'm going to, and by the way, I'm going to make notes on the script as we're talking, because that's the way I want to kind of capture all the thoughts. So, um, yeah, that's fine. I, I, the notes we wrote down are, we have their page notes. So, I mean, for the most part, unless it's like an overarching thing, I have a question about their page notes. So, we, I mean, it'll make it a lot easier. Perfect. That sounds awesome. And some of them are, like I said, simple, like line notes or just questions. And some of them are a bit broader, but I mean, you'll, yeah, you'll see as we go. Awesome. That sounds great. Um, Really, really quick before we jump in this, because Justin won't brag about himself, so I'll brag for him. Uh, <laughs> he's he's going to predominantly give the notes uh, just because he's a lot more qualified than I am. Uh, Justin wrote the original script for Wonder Woman. He did, you know, 26 revisions of it um, before the project, unfortunately, got scrapped by Wonder, uh, or Warner Brothers. He also won, you know, top script out of 800, top 10 out of 1,000. So he's has many, many awards for his scripts. He's worked with, you know, people who wrote scripts for, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and a couple other, you know, big celebrities. So uh you know i have my opinions as a uh as a you know, general consumer but justin actually is the expert here uh and actually knows what he's talking about so i'm gonna let him take uh take point and give most of the feedback 
Awesome. That sounds you see, good. when you have when you have a business partner and a best friend like that, I mean, it's you know. <laughs> and hopefully, uh, everybody can see my screen clearly. That's I'll, I'll get. I'll try to zoom in. I was trying to get rid of this panel, but I'll keep this panel here just in case we need to jump around a little bit. Okay. All right. Go for it. Um. So one of the quick things that I noticed is um, some of the characters have their race or ethnicity in their description. Some don't. Is mm. that something that you guys purposely did, or is there what was the reason for that? Um, so that's a really good question. So my thought process was this, um, we're using a lot of superhero archetypes. I think that there are some times when, um, so, so in other words, when I say archetype, like we might have somebody who's like Superman, just like in the boys, they have, um, uh, what's their guy's Homelander. name? Not the Patriot. What's the guy's name? Homelander. 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 Yeah. Homelander. Just like they have Homelander. He's their version of Superman. Right. So we have, we'll have these archetype of characters that are very similar to what you might see in the comics. Sometimes it mattered to us about how that character was going to be portrayed on screen in terms of differentiating it from the original character. And then sometimes it didn't make, didn't matter as much. And so that was kind of the thought process behind, thought process behind labeling some of them and not labeling others. Okay, I, I like that idea and I get where you're coming from with that because of what you're doing, you know, it's you're separating it. I would recommend putting them for all of your main characters just okay. because it's visually it just it it helps you see who it is. And I mean, not that it if they're not important to it, it's not necessary. Personally, I would just do that just because there were certain characters where I went, wait a minute, their ethnicity or this wasn't there. I mean, and that's fun to use your imagination, but because the other ones are so pronounced, I just expected it across the board. And awesome. I guess the consistency is good too. And then I have like, like for instance, page 12 says flashback over, um, you know, when you guys end flashbacks formatting, sometimes some put flashback over instead ah. of just going right into the script. Okay. Those are small things um, to consider when going through. Cool. Okay. So then um, um, any, anytime you see a flashback, sometimes end, end with a flashback over. Got it. Yeah. It's just, it's something that, I get it. Once you read through, you understand. It's like, okay, we're back here. It's obvious, but you're going to get readers and you're going to get people that are going to be like, wait, how do I know the flashback's over? Are we still right. in it? <laughs> anything that's going to slow down our studio reader, anything that's going to take them out of it is just going to be a mark against you. And I always say, don't give them a reason to say no. And it's, yes, it could be as simple as not putting a comma in the right place. It's ridiculous, right. but right. you know, it's also part of getting it right. Absolutely. Um, cool. I did have a question about what is, uh, what is Erica's motivation? Like we see that she's angry right away. She's got this chip on her shoulder and mm. we know that obviously that, well, it's assumed that she, though, she wrote, she, she, I don't want to say backstab, but she talked about her. She talked, you know, so that she didn't go to right. jail, but why is she angry so early on? Like, is it that she's being chased? Is she angry at herself? Like, what is it that had, why does she have this chip on her shoulder towards everybody? Like, what is it? Yeah, so one of the things that we were trying to showcase, and maybe this is maybe this wasn't clear enough in the script, but one of the things we were trying to showcase is that everybody has a slightly different response. There are some commonalities, but a lot of people have slightly different responses to their shame and guilt complex, right? And so all of these characters are showing up to this hotel and they all have a shame and guilt complex that's being used to manipulate them. And so the idea was that Erica shows up already resenting the fact that it's being used against her and her defense mechanism is anger is gotcha. basically where that's okay. coming from. Yeah. Okay. And that'll, I mean, that'll be seen once whoever, you know, the actresses that plays her, but I just, yeah, just something I was wondering about. Got it. Um, 
the other thing is uh how do we know the mask is a woman right away like throughout the script it doesn't ever say she's a woman like it's she's referred to as she but like visually there's nothing about it that gives away she's a man or a woman like what are you what are you going to do or what, what were you guys thinking about visually um, setting her up as the mask and just kind of has this cape slash overbearing thing but there's nothing that gives away you know her gender i was just wondering what's going to separate yeah so in the we actually so one of the things we have not done is that we have not updated this script the harlequin with a greater detail about the mask but we've made a couple changes to the mask since that this script has been finalized. It, they just appeared in the prequel script. And this is the problem of having two scripts. You're changing one and you gotta go back and change the other one. Um, yeah, so, so to your point, that's a really good pickup. We actually made sure that you can see that, um, that she has a ponytail and we referenced that in her character description in the prequel. So we need to add it over here as well. And then we did um, slightly update her description um, because she is sort of uh, um, in the in the Harlequin right now. That character functions almost like a uh, what would you call it horror trope villain. Um, that and that's fine. But to nuance that a little bit more, we made her uh, a horror trope villain, but also gave her some of some visual characteristics that would sort of associate her with Harley Quinn from the comics, right? So there's okay. there's a there's a match there. All right. So what I would do then is focus on that a bit more for the script, but also lean into that because there are certain times where it seems like she is working with Lando and there's certain times where it seems like Lando's you know giving her orders. And I think that if it's very clear, especially her being a woman that stands like a description like a foot taller than him i feel like her not ever feeling like she has to take orders from him and doing like she doesn't need lando throughout the whole thing would make her such a stronger character because it's like oh there's this strong powerful woman right and she's the one killing everybody behind this mask and she's working with lando which is very clear but at any moment she could just kill this guy and there's nothing he could do about it like that's the other thing is that there's not it's yes they're working together but it's not really established like 100% why at the end of it she doesn't just you know chop Lando's head off and take the money <laughs> right 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 like and, and I know that that's very like clear into it like and if you guys like if there's a you know if I miss something please you know tell me I just that it was just one of those things that there are parts of it where black masks seem so like powerful where it's like well why isn't she running this operation you know on page 13, um, this is just where it starts, but I love that you guys, I told you guys this last time, I love that you guys write what all the characters are thinking. Like, personally, I love the prose, and I, it gets me inside the characters' heads, but it's kind of a faux pas for scripts. Right. <laughs> um, usually with actions, it's just write what you, you know, what you can see and hear, not so much what it's inside the head. That stuff that, you know, can be left for a shooting script or can be told to the actors and stuff, but it's just most of the time looked at as a don't do it. Um, but I yeah. like it personal as a personal, just because it, like I said, it gets me inside the character's heads. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's good. We actually had that feedback on our other script because we did some of the same things and people were like, Oh, we don't like seeing this. So that's, yeah, that's very common. Okay. Yeah. It's, and it's something that, you know, 
somebody like, you know, Aaron Sorkin or Martin Scorsese is going to get away with that because of what they've done. Nobody's going to tell them you can't do that, but yeah, it's just going to come up. There's, there's one thing I heard one time and I would love to get your take on this. I heard, I was watching a um, Hollywood reporter round table. Um, and you, I'm sure you can go back to YouTube and watch it because that's where I watched it. And they were talking to Tom Hanks was one of the people that they were talking to. And the question was raised by the interviewer, like, how do you guys get to the emotional state that you got to um, when you were able to film these scenes? And, you know, like, what? how did you work yourself up? And Tom Hanks and, and said this, and then everyone around the table agreed with him. He said, well, it has to be in the script. If it's not in the script, then I can't get, I usually can't get there. Um, in other words, he was kind of suggesting I can't manufacture emotion. The script will dictate what the emotion is. Will will get me feeling what the emotion is. Um, now, this is a bad example of it because this Erica pauses line is not really like a. So, just for those who are listening, the line is um, Erica pauses colon, and then we have it in italics because it's her thinking. You'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Um, and that's so that is getting inside Erica's head, but no one ever is going to see that. That's just inside Erica's head. It's for the people reading. And so I kind of tried to sneak some of that stuff in just realizing that Tom Hanks said, if it's not in the script, then I can't get there. And I thought to myself, okay, well, what can I like sneak into the scripts on, on behalf of the actors to try and get them there. But Hollywood, like you said, Justin, they hate it. So it's kind of like this weird, it's well, kind of like this weird it, thing. It, it is a catch 22. Yeah, it, like a lot of Hollywood, it's a catch twenty two, and that's where you can see, you know, if you've built up Erica's anger to this point where she's constantly angry, like, and if you just see her take a breath and just close her eyes and breathe and just, like, like deflate for a second mm. and then change her tone, you instantly see that there's something that just happened there, and you caught her change, and that's enough, okay? And I get, and I like the line, you know, you'll catch more flies with honey, but yeah. that's enough visually to be like, oh, okay, I see what. She's literally just trying to like not direct this anger towards everybody, and it's good yeah. she's struggling with it. Awesome, awesome, good stuff. But that's Excellent. yeah, that's something to consider. Um, cool. Uh, page twenty-four. Um, make it clear uh, what I put. Make it clear right away that the action that Jim is in the void. Um, that it was just a weird transition where it went into Jim's memory room, and then like he oh, was yeah. shirtless and hairy, and then. Uh, then it says like three lines in or two paragraphs sorry on the second paragraph here that jim's now in his black abyss of memory it should just right we should go right into that we shouldn't wait that long to yep. say that we're there also while i have this on my mind betty um i i noticed because jim being like a wolverine type archetype right yeah um betty being you know I'm sure you guys thought of it as more like a Jean Grey, right? Right, right. Uh, I think that it would be because one of the things I had is that this happens on page 24 and that Betty's not brought up to like page 61 or 62 again. I think what would be interesting is if Jim is sitting at the bar at some point um, in the middle of him getting drunk, not realizing he's getting drunk because of what's happening, obviously. And he, yeah. Betty's brought up. Either he, somebody mentioned something about a girl and he says Betty or he has, he opens his wallet and there's a picture of Betty there, like to remind us of who Betty is, but like 
maybe there's a picture of Betty with her husband and like, you know, we only see the half of his wallet that's Betty and he pulls it out and sees the other half that's husband. It's kind of like he feels ashamed, closes the wallet. Like just an example, but I, we need to be reminded, I think somewhere in between of Betty again, because when she came up, it took me a second to go, wait, who's Betty? What was that? Oh yeah, that's right. That was 40 pages ago. Foreshadow her appearance exactly. earlier. Cool. Well, it also shows that Jim sitting at the bar drinking is not just struggling with, you know, being a hundred plus years old or be, you know, being invincible and stuff. He's struggling with a loss. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this was just a, uh, on page 27. This was just a little note when they're in the parking lot, when they're carrying Jim to his room, um, all of a sudden Brock appears. I thought it'd be cool. Cause Brock's sitting in his car. Anyway, if Brock kind of like looked up and caught them looking in his rearview mirror, caught them taking uh, Jim to his room. And that's how we established that Brock, noticed them i just thought that could be a cool shot to kind of connect the two awesome so then this in this this is the the place where okay so then brock could brock see them um in his yeah brock's room. standing at the threshold like i can help and we know that he's already out there and then look that's just a personal thing i saw it i went oh that could be cool if he like looks in the rearview mirror and that's and that gives a good that gives um, from a directing perspective, it, it gives you a better feeling for okay, we're Brock's gonna move, right? Like so. So from a storytelling standpoint, we know where the characters are going to. I'm assuming too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool. and it's just Brock. It also establishes that Brock has a he has a, a keen hold on things as a detective. Like you know, yeah. he's he's always looking. He's always aware that he knows. And I just I thought that'd be cool. Next one on page thirty four. Um, it's it's this is where the changes start. Why does it go back and forth from Deja to Dana? Oh, that's just old. I just haven't fixed it all. So if it, if that shows up, then um, if it says Dana, then that was a mistake. Yeah, it happens quite a few times after page thirty four. I didn't know if there was a reason for it or if that was just an older version. Got it. No, that that's just a mistake. So let me. Uh... And um, all right, page. 43 and 44 um carl i really love this scene because he goes out into the forest and we see him getting stronger we see him clearly like becoming himself standing up straight like regaining his strength and i liked that and i just thought it'd be cool if he like as he steps further into the forest he like punches a tree to show his strength something like picks up a rock and throws it like you know mm. into space whatever like something to show like oh this dude has like some strength i mean it could also be the other note I had, if you're not going to do that, is on page 46 when he's trying to use his x-ray vision. I feel like if he's far enough away and we, you see him actually using it and we get to see like inside the room and Carl notices what's going on in that scene with Brock, I feel like that could be enough too. But something visually to show like, like, oh, this dude is like a freaking superhero. Like this guy has powers. Perfect. Perfect. Actually, that was a that and was a note even, that Nathan made too, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't I didn't do anything about it. Yeah, okay, good. What were you gonna yeah, say? And I, because what you can do is follow that through. Is later on when Carl is when they're running down that secret hallway, and Carl's like sees the, the security door at the end. Carl could even like you could have him try and use his X-ray vision and whatever his lights or his eyes turn red for a second, whatever it may be, but to where he's trying to see who's behind the door for them, and it hurts him even more to try that. And because it's already been established beforehand, we're like, oh, we know what this guy's trying to do, and he can't do it. And it just adds the, to that power damper. Uh, page 49, um, I know that you guys uh, said Jim is like Wolverine, you know, kind of what you're doing there. 
Um, and I, I noticed the scene you told me about the second time a lot more, which I really dig is he kind of puts his, fi his fists and his knuckles right under Lando's neck as if he's waiting for those claws to come out. And I was yeah. talking, Seth and I were talking about this and he had a good idea of like, instead of it seeming like it's going to be Wolverine's claws, it could be like, you know, Baraka from, what'd you say, Seth from Mortal Kombat um, with the one claw yeah. or like maybe it's out, it's out of his fingernails or maybe the claws just, that was the scene that because you had told me it's like Wolverine where I went, oh, that's almost too on the nose. So I was wondering if maybe the claws can come from somewhere else or there could be only one that comes out, just something to show that, or maybe they start to come out of his fingernails or his knuckle, wherever it's going to come out, but it's not quite there. You know, we see just enough for him to show that he's pushing, but it's not happening. Yeah. Love it. Love it. That's just to save you guys from like copyright. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so for, for those who are, who may not have read this script, one of the things that we're dealing with here is that just like the boys, we have archetypes of characters, but we don't want to step on anybody's IP. And so there's this, there's this delicate balance you're playing of being like, well, they're archetypes. They're not the character, but they're similar to the character. Yeah. And so things, solutions like that are invaluable to making sure that we can film this and, and be able to do it without getting into major problems. <laughs> Excellent. Well, exactly. And the only one I think, and Seth and I were talking about this earlier, um, I think Jim is your only issue just because of the backstory you give him and how close that is, which I love, by the way, that he's, he's talking like first time he got drunk was, you know, after, you know, after the cavalry arrived and we know what <laughs> war he's talking about and stuff. We don't even have to say it. And I really thought that was cool. But then, and it's very similar to Wolverine and how Logan, because Logan fought in that war too. And, you know, but it's the idea that once you give him the claws or once you get to there, it's just like, it's almost too many and you don't want to, you don't want to mess with Marvel's whatever disney's ip at this point. yeah <laughs> yeah exactly i i would like to deal with disney but not their lawyers <laughs> let's put it that way inside of their lawyers not the opposite side that's right that's yeah. right that's right <laughs> yeah i had another note right up that the betty note i already told you about it's just okay i feel like yeah her being established would just add more to jim's uh a bit more to jim's uh, struggle um Perfect. And then you guys, besides the Dana thing, I really, the third act is, I really enjoyed. There wasn't a whole lot of notes I had. I just, it went and I was just sitting there going like the back and forth and how you go back with the, um, with the, um, with the flashbacks and going into the black room. I thought that was really cool. Like, and it was, it was all handled very well. Like there was, ne I never felt like, okay, we're leaning to, we're lingering too long on this. It just, it goes like there's half a minute here, a minute here and it cuts and it keeps you going. And I like that because it builds the tension. Um, the things I had, I had two notes for the end and then I had a suggestion. Um, awesome. I think that, do you guys have plans for the black, do you guys have plans for the black masks past this? Yeah. I mean, we would like to, and this is something that you guys asked us about in the last conversation too, which is like, what, what are your next things? And, and we, we haven't gotten far enough on that conversation, but yeah, what, what I would love to do, um, Way back in the day, there was this series called Heroes. I remember what channel that was on. NBC, probably. Yeah, and, that was forever ago. Yeah, forever ago. And the first season was amazing. And then from there on out, it just like plummeted. It was just like horrible, right? Um, and one of the things that they said was that in the initial, in their initial um, goals for the, for the show was that it, they would restart uh, the 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 same kind of premise with different characters every season, 
And then when I saw um, when I saw what Ryan Johnson has done most recently with uh, Knives Out and Glass Onion, I went, so, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Like we know what we're getting, so we we still want to show up, but it's only one of the same characters. Like we only see one of the same characters on screen that we saw in the previous one, right? Yeah. And I thought like that's such a cool way of building this out. So to answer your question. I think what we would like to do is that we would like to take some of the same characters, not all of them, and bring it back into a similar type of scenario. Like, um, not not to say that it's always about guilt and shame and bringing people into the same place. Maybe it's about something else. Like Glass Onion, they're they're about partying together, right? Like, um, but that's the kind of thought process I had around that. So probably you would have some characters continue, but not all of them. So maybe it's lando and the mask and or it's like wilma and the mask or there's some combination but it's not the same characters overall well okay what I like about that too is uh let's say this becomes you know a trilogy or you know uh, some kind of movie series where you know there's five six seven movies whatever kind of like harry potter or transformers or whatever um or even glass onion you know using that is you can start doing a combination of characters too, even down the line, mm -hmm. you know, like making callbacks two or three films later and call back a character from the first one too. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. cool. Well, yeah, and I like that. I think you guys have a lot of characters to work with to do that with. Um, the reason why I asked about Black Mask is because the only people that really, I mean, spoilers, get killed in this are, yeah. <laughs> are good guys. Right. Or, I mean, what we perceive to be good guys. And right. I feel like for some kind of catharsis, I wanted, you know, Black Mask runs out, obviously injured. And that's a cool way to be like, you know, blood dripping. She could be back. She might have been killed, whatever. But mm. I, I feel like we need a definite catharsis to I'd like to see either Lando or Black Mask, one of them answer for their crimes, not just Lando being tied up, but like one of them dying to see like to show some kind of catharsis that our heroes you know, yeah, I do like the suitcase burning. I think that that's powerful. And it shows like, you know, letting go, moving on, you know, and I think that that's important. But I want, I think that a catharsis with the black mask either being killed or, you know, the mask being pulled off at least. Something like that. Like, I mean, that would also, honestly, the mask being pulled off would just be, you know, just a lovely uh, cyclical device i guess that's best way of putting it just because everybody else has been had their secrets revealed why can't she have hers you know mm. Mm. something like that for a catharsis for the heroes because i felt like when the black mask just like gets hit and then just runs away down the hallway and then that's it i was just like no like this person has been killing and doing all these terrible things and they just get away with it and that is cool but it's when it's i guess if it was the other part of it is that in that room they all have their powers back. If they didn't have their powers back yet and Black Mask was able to run away, then I get it a bit more. But because they have their powers, I'm like, dude, like we can have um we can have Carl get up and just like get to her in two seconds. That's true. Now. That's a good point. Like, not that he would, because Carl's a good guy, you know, he's trying to do that. But I feel like there should be more there of a catharsis, like have her be revealed or be killed or something. Like, I don't like that she gets away. I think that it's not it's not even that it's not fair. I just think that it's 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 something that's left too open-ended i do Got like it. that wilma uh wilma and uh lando are tied up and that they're already scheming something else i think that that's very important because it does leave it open for another one but also it's like you know they're the cops are going to show up and they're going to get arrested even if you want to show the cops you know arresting them like we know at least that there's something something there to 
to culminate this film because the other thing is like uh marvel of late um you don't want to one of the worst things that people complain about which i absolutely hate is when you don't tell a complete story like it's one thing if it's lord of the rings and we know it's three movies that are all one story that are connecting right but like i can't stand when a marvel film i'll use them as a prime example of late will tell a story and then spend the last five ten minutes setting up something else it's like mm. oh now you got to come back it's like that's not <laughs> a traditional like it's like they're dangling a carrot in you because they want your money and they want to make sure you're going to come back like tell me a story and then at the end of the story have it have some finality to it and if there are some stingers or if there's ways to set it up then be smart about it don't like and i'm not saying you guys i'm saying marvel in general and that's that's what you don't want to do because people like to go and be like oh that was cool i got the whole story and it'd be interesting to like they like people like the, everybody has imaginations we want to guess what could come from that or what could come next mm-hmm. not be told oh here's tony stark he's going to be back in this one but we'll tell you when the release date is and what you know when he signs his new contract it's like okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. to, to tack on to that just again as an average consumer like what i would do when i was watching game of thrones before it all came out Mm. is between seasons is i would dive so deep into all the theories of like this is what could potentially happen and this is what could potentially happen and it was fun to make that part of the experience you can't really do that with the new marvel movies because they already tell you what's coming and there's nothing it's just this is coming and then this is coming and this is coming and then we got you know uh the the king movie i forget what it's called and then we got the secret wars right after it and it's like okay well now we know where we're going and there's nothing left like it'd be a lot better if we are like, okay, well now because Kane is coming in the comics, we know that leads eventually to secret wars. So that could be the next Avengers that you know what I mean? But it's yeah. very yeah. out in front of you. And you're like, okay, cool. Now we got to get through all of this and then we get secret wars, which is what the one that everyone wants. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, let me ask this question um, from a, from a implementation standpoint, because I think that unmasking the mask would be a really cool, ending moment as well so i really like that idea um do if we do that in the story do you think that we need to um usually like an unmasking is like there's a component to it where we've seen the character in a different context or or there's like there's a there's a there's like a satisfactory conclusion to like oh now i just put two and two together like now that you've removed the mask i realize that that person is either that person or is there is there something is there something to that that you think needs to be done as well or do you think the unmasking by itself is sufficient no the unmasking by itself is sufficient and i mean that's i think the only way the not knowing what gender she is works just because if she's trying to keep that all secret as it is and even maybe lando doesn't know like i feel like that'd be super important that that's the only way that'd be cool is because you unmask and all of a sudden like the whole like the whole movie you're like you know you don't know if she's a guy or a girl and you don't know who's under there and then you unmask it all of a sudden it does leave it open to oh holy crap that was a woman this whole time doing all this killing and then it's well who is this woman is she a super villain is she this and those questions start to just come out and that would be a fun see that's a nice stinger for you know to lead to into a second one just because she's been caught she's been unmasked and it, you know there is the finality to your story that you have in this one but also it's well who is she why was she yeah. helping him mm-hmm. you know 
what is her connection here? You know, and I think that that could be, you know, especially if you have like stuff where like her and uh, Nishiko knew her or something. I don't know. Like there's a lot more you can do with that. That's awesome. Then you can dive into, let's say we do a second movie and, you know, she's in prison. Um, You know, then you can have someone like Lando hiring another, you know, supervillain to bust her out. And it's Lando and this other supervillain. Now it dives into her character. And then there's another supervillain that you can dive into, too. We already established Lando and now we get to understand this mass character more. And then we get another, you know, and again, I'm just throwing out ideas, but it, it, it helps the setup for, you know, future content. Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Um, and was that was that your last note, Justin? No. Um, the other one was why does I mean, like I said, this is something I could have missed. I'm just genuinely asking, why does Wilma have to show up? What's the dirt that they have on her? So uh, the idea behind Wilma was that Wilma is as much of a villain as Lando is, whereas the other characters are not so much, like they're either anti-heroes or heroes. Um, and the idea with Wilma showing up was that it it put additional pressure on Lando. Because all we know is that Lando has this machine and things and that he's he's trying to accomplish these things, but there's no there's there's no other pressure against him other than like, how do I figure out how to kill these people? (laughs) Right. And so the idea behind Wilma was to say, well, what if Lando is actually kind of trying to double cross somebody else and he has higher, um, he has more aspirations than, than he maybe has the capability of fulfilling right now. Juxtapose, I should say the character of Lando and his goals um, and of course, that's an archetype for Lex Luthor, which means he is a strict capitalist and will do capitalist things um, to the detriment of those around him because he's all about building his empire. And yet he's hampered by the fact that there's a strong female character who he actually owes something to. And so he's just trying to set up that kind of juxtaposed um, battle for Lando as well, kind of. Okay. Um I know in the, in the, so in the flashback, what is it that Lando then gives her in the manila folder? Because we see, we see Lando uh, handing her a manila folder across, you know, first it's the deal. And then it's that, what is in that manila folder? What is it? Is it that she has a, that she's a lesbian? Mm, That's a good question. Let let me finish real quick. I'm sorry. I was, uh, what, is it that she is a lesbian or that is it that, there is more to her and what is it that Wilma does? Like, yes, she might be a villain, but like, did she come up with this technology? Did she steal it? Like, ah. and not that all these questions have to be answered. I'm genuinely curious about all. That. Yeah. So, so, so the, the concept that we have um, that's working with here, and this is a good, this is a good background for anybody who wants to read the script or who's interested in like what we're trying to accomplish. So Part of this is uh, the the prequel. Let me describe the prequel really quick to give you a feel for what that's like. There's another device in the prequel um, where we take uh, an archetype character of a journalist, which you'd find in like a um, like a Lois Lane character, right? And the story behind that is that Lois Lane has a device that's an alien tech device that allows her to find out anyone's secrets that she wants. And so she becomes a Pulitzer Prize winner based on this um, on this technology. That technology is what Lando steals from her in the first film. 
So Lando has technology that he has where he's able to gather all this information that allows him to have all of these dossiers on the guilt and shame complexes of the superhero characters, right? So that's just kind of backstory. But what Lando doesn't have is Lando does not have the capacity to um, take away the powers of the people who are going to be showing up to the motel. So that requires him to go, okay, well, I can't just have these super powered people show up to this motel and think that I'm going to be able to kill them. So I need some other way of being able to do that. Well, Wilma has that because Wilma has developed a technology that disrupts um, both powers, superpowers and communication ability. And so in, 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 a, in a very um, small geographic area. That's the um, the Silmar device. And so Wilma has the Silmar device. Lando does a deal with Wilma to say, I would like to have your Silmar device. Um, but he also creates a dossier on her so that she can't double cross him um, and, and therefore get away with it. So that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes is Wilma has all that power. Wilma's the one that developed the technology, and then Lando's using that technology alongside the other technology that he's gathered to, to build the dossiers in order to complete his plan, is essentially what it comes down to. Did I manage all that, Nathan? <laughs> did, I get, did I get it all? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Although, it sounds like part of the question, though, is then what could he possibly have on her, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, like oh it, sorry, it, sorry, I didn't even answer that. Yeah. Sorry, that's yeah. Th thank you, thank you for saying that. So the guilt and shame complex that you're asking, what is the guilt and shame complex that Wilma is bringing to the table? And um, that's a great question. So the guilt and shame complex that Wilma, and then maybe this is underexplored. You can tell me, Justin, if you think this is underexplored. But it the reason why we bring up the fact it's not to it's not to say, ooh, you're a lesbian, and and in the 1970s that was like a dirty word. It's, that's actually not what it's for. What we're actually trying to say or suggest is that Wilma, because you are a, um, so Wilma, Wilma's um, archetype is the same archetype you'd see from Kingpin, right? She, she comes from Hell's Kitchen too. She has a whole empire that she's built up. So her living her life as, if you wanted to call her Queenpin or something along those lines, has set it up so that she can't have deep relationships. And this is you know, if you look at if you, even if you look at the Marvel series, the Marvel Daredevil series, Kingpin has a really hard time with his relationships. I can't remember her name, Vanessa, I believe. Um, and it's because he leads a criminal empire. But how do you invite love into a criminal empire? So as Wilma gets married, um, basically her uh, wife dies. And and uh, basically what Lando is trying to say is it's your fault. You should be guilty and have a shame complex that you brought an innocent person into this world and they died and it's on you is basically where that's all coming from. Okay. See, that's super cool. And I want to see that in the script. Like okay, cool. that's such a cool ex explanation because I was sitting here going, okay, is Lando like a Lex Luthor type, like that was hired by Wilma and he's going to double cross her and this is how it's all going to go down. Or is it going to be like where, he and you know he got dirt on her and that's why she shows up and the dirt is just that good and if that was the case where you know Wilma was going to be Wilma was the mastermind behind it all and Lando's dethroning her by you know double crossing her with her own plan I was like okay this could make more sense but um, and I was just running through all these different scenarios of what could the dirt be and I like the idea that you know she is this she is this person that has this device that's created this stuff and maybe leads a criminal 
um, Underworld, you know, crim, you know, maybe she is a female Lex Luthor. I don't know, but that she did bring somebody innocent in and they got killed, whether it, she did it, whether it was just a stray bullet, whatever it may be, but something that kind of guilt would force her to show up and, but not force her to show up, you know, alone as she does. And I, and I think that that showing that and telling that story would um, flesh out hers a lot more to where they both are, are going to double cross each other but when they're tied up and obviously in handcuffs it's the idea that they both have failed and one could have just if one could just stayed away you know it it works both ways sorry i know i'm going to just go over it again but yeah yeah no that's awesome that's awesome i'm glad i'm glad you said that because um even as i was talking about it, i'm like wow there's a lot of backstory there the, i mean you're basically saying like there's a lot of cool backstory there and kind of none of it's in there so it'd be cool to have some of it um there's like these little tiny hints that aren't that aren't clear enough. And I think that's, um, that's really, that's really great to get that, to get that feedback. Um, and you don't even cool. have to go that deep. You don't have to go that deep into it. Like you can literally just like, you know, the poster on the wall of her or the picture of her and her, um, her wife with, you know, the red X's, like you can have her react to that a lot more emotionally. And then like tell Lando, like, how dare you bring her into this? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. she was, she was the innocent. I told you to keep her out of this. Like, and it's the one thing that you can tell Lando, found the chink in her armor and he's going to use it and push that sword in as much as he can. And I feel like if you lean into that a bit more with her, it does show her more human side, but it also shows why it is she's even more maniacal than, especially when she shows the chest or the, the, um, the heart monitor on her chest, like all of that. It's like, okay, she came prepared because yeah. this guy's, you know, screwed her over. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. Great feedback. Great feedback. And I cool. like that. I like that a lot more. Because I had this idea where when she's laying in the street after she's had the axe in her leg and the black mask is standing over her, and then when uh, Carl, Deja, and um, was it Brock yeah. come out to try and stop it, like I had the idea that, you know, black mask kicks the suitcase aside, but not before she leans in and grabs the remote. So when she's pulled into the room, you know, and they're all, and they're being told, you have one minute to go back to your rooms, and they decide to, you know, rush the room i like the I, I thought okay well what if like this is wilma's way of saying well f you guys if my plan's not going to work it's going to be you guys getting killed not me and she has yeah. the remote you know and screws uh, them both over i thought that'd be cool but that's her saving her own butt and if you guys go with this backstory and, and implement that more i feel like that's not even needed like she can just it can go as is because she still has the wherewithal to go you know she's still evil at the end of the day she's not awesome. going to try and help heroes Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, fantastic. What else you got? Um, that's, I mean, I just wanted more of it. That's my other, like, <laughs> that's cool. Like I love the short and I love the setup of it, but I, I just want more of the world and more of it. Like I want to see where these characters go. Um, the other thing I had a question, um, you just reminded me was the age, like some of the characters seem like, I know that some of them are obviously like Deja or like Jim or, you know, hundreds of years old at this point but what do they look like are some of them going to mm. look like their 40s or 50s or are some of them going to look like they're 26 and have an age today like have you guys thought about that that's a really good question the only thing i thought about is i mean the dream the dream project is to do like what tarantino has done where he brings in an actor who needs like needs a career revitalization or i mean aronofsky did it with the whale with brendan fraser right like 
um, you bring in an older actor or actress and you're able to kind of like revitalize their career and like showcase how how cool they are. So we did age up some of the characters in that regard, but um, but technically speaking, we could have some of them be younger as well. We just kind of like thought like, okay, well, what does this look like? You know, at what age do people tend to have more guilt and shame complexes? And it's okay, fine. It's usually like a little bit older. So um, I'm open to feedback on that for sure, because I don't have any like, oh, it has to be this way. Or it has to be that way. I'm kind of more open to what would work. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just just was wondering if you guys yeah. had that and all. But no, that's that's something obviously that's up to you guys. It's just okay. as as I was reading and picturing them, I was just, you know, what didn't know. I was thinking about actors, actresses, older, younger, and who could play and who couldn't and all. Yeah, that's awesome. Who who were some of the people that you had that as you read the script, you would have been like, Oh, I'd love to see this person in this role. Um, let's see. Who was I thinking about? Um Jim, I just pictured Wolverine most time, but like a shorter Wolverine, you know, like, uh, yeah. like, uh, um, like a Taron Egerton type Wolverine, not quite Hugh oh, Jackman, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. like six two, not quite yeah. fitting the five. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a fan art of Zach. Yeah, Efron that was Wolverine too. Oh yeah. Um, of uh, like, I mean, of who? Zach Efron as uh, Wolverine. There's a lot of fan art uh, of him like picking up the Wolverine man mantle from Hugh Jackman. Zach Efron's a lot shorter too. That's interesting. Yeah, that actually looks pretty good. Well, they had um, I could see that they had um the actor who's escaping at the moment who plays Homelander. Um, he was in talks oh. for a little bit to play Wolverine, and oh, that kind of faded away. One of the people we had uh, was, and I and I just been thinking about this guy because he he he's just a cool. He's I like what he talks about on 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 when he's on a podcast, but um, John Bernthal. The, the Punisher is like, okay. that would be a cool gym, right? Like he does anger yeah. really well, you know, like he's always under the surface. I like, I like that kind of stuff. We also had just to throw out a couple names. Cause one of the things that you guys had told us last time too, is from a, when you're getting, when you're uh, raising money or when you're getting producers on board, it helps for the producers to think in terms of their head, like who could be in these roles. Yep. And so we we threw out a couple of options in, in different places. We thought that Wilma, Wilma could be like a, a Gwendolyn Christie sort of um, mm -hmm. cast. Um, That's, I was thinking, okay, I could see Gwendolyn Christie. I thought of uh, the person I was thinking of with Wilma was Elizabeth Debicki. Oh, was she in? And I'm not familiar with that name. She's in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Her most famous role is uh, Jordan from Great Gatsby. But she's been in a bunch oh, of stuff. Most awesome. recently in The Crown. Um, this this would be, you know, this would be hitting a this would be hitting a grand slam, but if you could get Idris Elba to play Brock, <laughs> that oh, would be <laughs> that would be epic. <laughs> yeah. 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 And we also had Mahershala Ali that we thought of too. That like, because oh, I just yeah. respect him so much as an actor. It's kind of amazing. Oh my gosh, him is playing that detective. Ooh, that'd be a good role. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, for for Carl, who's the Superman archetype, the 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 funny thing was is that after we talked about it last time, they announced that Henry Cavill wasn't going to be Superman anymore. I'm like, I'll, I'll make him. We can make him Superman. <laughs> like, we'll hire him for this role. <laughs> um, but of course, we had a. We actually had Nikolai Coster Waldo as well as we as a list that we put on here. Um, he's uh, yeah from Game of Thrones. Jamie Lannister. Yep, Jamie Lannister. The the hardest one we've had to think about. Oh, that'd be a good one. 
That would be a fun one. Yeah. Um, the hardest one that I think that we haven't come up with a good one necessarily is Lando. Um, I really like what Tony Dalton did in, um, in better call Saul. Um, he, he played, uh, in better call Saul. He was Lalo. Um, he was fantastic. Uh, but we also had like, you know, could you, could you kind of go out of the norm and do John Leguizamo or something like that, you know, like that kind of take. So I kept picturing um, a bald Giancarlo Esposito for Lando. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be, he's one of my most respected actors, by the way, that guy can play just about anything. He's freaking amazing at everything he does. Yeah. Uh, cool. Any other, so let me ask you guys this question and we can kind of start to close it out unless you guys have some questions for us still. Um, last question I had for you was, uh, given what, um, given the conversations that we've had, if you were sitting in our shoes, what would you do? What would you, what would your next steps be if you were sitting in our shoes? Yeah. For the Harlequin or just. Yeah. For the Harlequin and no vacancy. I kind of put those two kind of together as like a a shared, cause you could tell us, you could tell us like, Hey, forget making the short film. Just try to go make the feature instead. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what would, where would you go with it? Yeah. Uh, I think the timing of it is great because like I was saying, the traditional superhero movies, I feel like are kind of on their way out. You know, I think Marvel and DC took a really good stab at it for the past, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever it's been. And uh, I feel like there's just a little bit of fatigue there now. Uh, but then you look at something like The Boys, and that's doing exceptionally well because it's it's still superheroes, which people love, but it's it's a different spin on it. And then right now, I also think that the Who Done It is a, is a nice trend, and that's you know true with uh, what was it uh, on. Uh, the one with Gal Gadot on the river, the Nile River. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. There you go. There's that one. And then obviously there's a Glass Out series. They're already in, in rights because of the success of, um, uh, or Knives Out series, but because of the success of uh, Glass Onion, they're already in development of the third script now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like you're piecing the components of what, the content that people are wanting to see, at least right now, uh, really well in, in a nice uniform entertaining way and so because of that I, you know i this is if you i know you have a ton of scripts but this is the one i'd be pushing uh mm-hmm. because of the, i think the timing is right and so i would start by making a mood board so put some visuals on there like the visual style that you see that this working in you know mm-hmm. put some actors in into a pitch deck saying you know this is you know the ideal actors that we want and then if you can break down an estimated budget uh, i think that'd be another one too because then you could talk investors uh or you, know, you can start shopping around with actors, get some names attached and say, you know, this is the budget we're going for. Here's the locations. This is our estimated cost. If we're doing it on a tight budget, here's what we think it's going to cost. And if we can do it, you know, free reigns with, you know, any kind of budget, any kind of actor, any kind of location, special effects, what have you, here's this budget of what that would look like. And mm-hmm. so we want to be somewhere in the middle there. Uh, and then we can figure out how to piece together the pieces. That's cool. You know, you get one actor and it could be, you know, a million dollars to have that or five hundred thousand dollars to have that actor play. But then you get someone else and they could be, you know, a 10, 15 million dollar, 25 million dollar minimum to be in the movie. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. just the talent alone is going to adjust the budget drastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then special effects will also adjust the budget. But I feel like the location it being predominantly one location, that's going to save you a lot of money, you know. It's not a huge cast. It has obviously some very key roles, and there's there's a lot of these key roles. But in terms of overall cast, it's it's pretty tight. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. 
Yeah. Excellent. And, and what I could do too, for some of the projects that Justin and I are working on, we have those made out. And so I can send you them as examples. So you just can kind of get like a visual of what we send over to investors. Um, that way it's just kind of laid out in a simplified way of this is what investors are looking for. These are what production companies are looking for. This is what actors and cast and crew be looking for if they uh, want to get involved with the script. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Cool. Justin, do you have definitely any other- get get yeah get the script and and get the script exactly where you want it to be first and foremost because even if tomorrow you are able to get to agents, producer, studio, what have you, like you want to be able to be like they're going to say, oh, you, we like this idea, send it. And you can't say, give us a week or two to fix this. <laughs> right, right, right. They'll, they'll forget about it. Just send it. Um, but have the script ready. And then, yeah, in the meantime of trying to get it going, I would definitely look into, I mean, I'm with Seth, definitely get that together because you want all your ducks in a row. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with thinking about shooting a short either. Like, because a lot of the, a lot of higher-ups, want to, they don't want to read a script. They want to see something visual. And if you have a short to show them or a three minute trailer or something to show them of what they want to do, they're like, oh, this looks cool. And it would be starring this person. All right, cool. Let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys have been uh, fantastic to take the time and I really appreciate it. And thanks for letting me record it too, so that we awesome. can, you know, show uh, showcase to other people. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, if they're looking to raise um, funds themselves and, and need help, um, are you guys doing that right now for folks? Are you guys getting involved with people? So how, yeah. what's a good way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, both our emails are pretty simple. Seth or Justin at City Lights dot studios so there's a s and then dot and then studios uh yeah and then just shoot us an email and uh yeah we'll get back to you awesome that sounds great thank you for taking the time guys i, I mean it has been really uh, not only encouraging um to talk with you guys but it has also been um it's it's allowed us to think bigger it's allowed us to think outside the box um it's been really, really valuable. So uh, I am, I'm very thankful to you both. I know Nathan is too. He had to run. He had to run real quick. Um, but um, we both feel feel really grateful for you guys taking the time. There's a pretty good chance that at some point this year we'll be talking to you guys about like how do we raise money together to go to go get this done. So um, we really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time with us and 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 have these conversations. It's been fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that interview with City Light Studio as much as Nathan and I did. Hopefully it gave you some insights into the process of developing a screenplay and trying to get it made. If you want to read The Harlequin or No Vacancy, our feature script and our short film script, become a supporter of How Stories Work on Patreon or send me an email and let me know that you're interested in reading them. Thanks for listening. If you have an idea for a future show or a question you'd like to have answered, support us on Patreon and submit your questions there. Thanks for listening to today's show. I will see you on the next one. Bye.